Glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today, we have a special treat. Today, in the lessons, we read about a woman in the Bible. Her name is Lydia. I know that uh, many of you have heard her name over the years as you've heard this story over and over, the story in the book of Acts. But we may not, you may not know a lot about Lydia. Uh, and many of you may have re relatives, uh, mothers or sisters or daughters or aunts or great-aunts who, who's named after this wonderful Lady Lydia. Today we read about her, and she is one of the thousands of minor characters mentioned in Scripture. But after 2,000 years, she is still remembered for her contribution to the early, Christ, early Christian church. Her story is told in the book of Acts. Although the information about her is, is kind of sketchy, I mean, it's not all there, biblical scholars have concluded that she is an exceptional person in the ancient world. Before we go into her story and why she's important for God's story, let me give you a little information about the book of Acts. You all know of the book of Acts. The author of Acts is the author Luke, who writes the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, G uh, Luke gives us the account of Jesus Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus has uh, lived his life in the community and has proclaimed the kingdom of God, and then he was crucified, uh, died, and then resurrected, and then ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit is still at work. And the book of Acts is just a continuation of the story of that work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, not just in Jesus, but now in his disciples, those apostles, those first followers of Jesus, those disciples of Jesus, even to the modern age. And so we have this wonderful story of Lydia, who is a disciple of Jesus and who Luke focuses on today. And we know this work of the Holy Spirit is a work that brings about the kingdom of God through the choices and decisions of individuals like Lydia. The, the, the story of the book of Acts is, is coupled with this wonderful reading that we just had from the book of Revelation. You see, the book of Revelation is the final vision. It's the end story. It's the dream of God at the end of the day. It's a, it's a dream in which God is, is, is placed among the people of God, among the nations of God, and the kingdom of God is a reality. The Acts of the Apostles is the process by which God does, achieves that final vision. Now back to Lydia. Who was she? And why is she important? Lydia of Thyatira is a woman introduced in the New Testament and who is considered to be the first recorded convert to Christianity in Europe. In the church, she is known as Saint Lydia, or simply the woman of purple. The woman of purple. I love that designation. 
The Apostle Paul first encountered Lydia at Philippi in eastern Macedonia. She was a worshiper of God, probably a proselyte or a convert to Judaism because ancient Philippi had no synagogue. The first few Jews in that city gathered on the banks of the Crenides River for Sabbath worship, where they could use the water for ritual washing, for prayer and praising, for their connection to God. Luke, the author of Acts, called Lydia a seller of purple goods. That's why she was called the Lady of Purple. She was originally from the city of Thyatira in the Roman province of Asia across the Aegean Sea from Philippi. One of the trade guilds in Thyatira made expensive purple dye. Since Lydia's husband is not mentioned in the scriptures, we know, though, that she is a householder, and scholars have speculated that she was a widow who brought her late husband's business to Philippi. She was an entrepreneur, a lady of strength and leadership. The early church was filled with these type of women, women who showed strength of character and strength of leadership, and because of them, we exist today. And she was very successful indeed. It says in the, in the, the other woman with Lydia in Acts may have been her employees or servants or slaves. And as she listened to that gospel, she was open to that gospel from Paul. God opened Lydia's heart, as the scriptures say, to pay close attention to Paul's preaching. It was a supernatural gift causing her conversion, and afterward she was immediately baptized in the river and then all of her household. Before leaving Philippi, Paul visited Lydia once more, and if she were well off, she might have given him money or supplies for his further journey onto Rome as he continued to plant churches along the way. The early Christian church there was supported by Lydia and, may have been influ and she may have, through that support, influenced thousands of travelers over the years. Lydia's name does not appear in Paul's letter to the Philippians, written about 10 years after this, uh, this writing, leading some scholars to guess that she may have died by that time. It's also possible that Lydia may have returned to her home town of Thyatira, where she was an active member of the church there. You see, Thyatira was addressed by Jesus as one of the seven Christian churches in the book of Revelation. A thriving community existed in Thyatira. And I would imagine it was because of the leadership of women like Lydia. The good news, my friends, in all of this is that God, God works. God works through the open-hearted and to the op through the open-minded to bring hope into the world. People like Lydia and Paul 
We have to mention Paul because at the very beginning of this lesson from Acts, Paul is given a vision and he is open to that vision. This is the same Paul who saw the world as black and white. The same Paul who saw evil and good. The same Paul who saw good and evil, or evil and good, that's the same thing, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just got a roll there. <laughs> But he's saying, it's the same Paul who saw things in black and white, who's with solid borders. This Pharisaic Jew, Paul, all of a sudden when he encounters Jesus, the risen Christ becomes open-minded and open-hearted. And he's given a dream. And in that dream, he is told to go to Macedonia. And what does he do? Before his conversion, he probably wouldn't have done this. But after this converse, con conversion with Jesus, he is able to go out and to do something different. And he goes out, and there he proclaims the gospel. And he meets Lydia on that river. And she meets and he meets all those other women there, and they are open-hearted and open-minded. Now, the human condition is that they could have closed their mind. They could have not looked at those possibilities. Lydia could have just simply said, I'm too busy, I'm too successful, I have a business to run, I don't need to hear from this man, Paul. And Paul, Paul, also could have said, why am I going to Macedonia? Why am I going to do this? He could have just simply said, I am too busy. It's too much effort. Life is too hard. They could have closed their heart and minds. But the reality is, God needs the open-hearted. God needs the flexible and the adaptable. God works to those people, to people like you and I, disciples of Jesus Christ who are open-hearted and open-minded. No one would have blamed Lydia for, for sending Paul away. And we can understand because we too can be, although we are prone to be open-hearted and open-minded, we too can also close our minds to possibilities, can't we? But if we are close-hearted and close-minded, we won't let God lead us in new directions and new ways. And the reality is, that God's hope for us is a transformed world filled with hopeful and joyful people. And the way, sometimes the only way to achieve that goal, the goal of revelation, the goal in which God's kingdom is the kingdom of the world, is often to try something new and to be open to something new. I invite you on this Easter Sunday, on this sixth Sunday of Easter, to be open-hearted 
and open-minded, especially as you respond to the promptings of God. For it is in the simple choice of, choices of individuals like you and me, like Lydia and Paul, people who are open-hearted and minds and have open minds, that God will help transform the world. You know, I, I remember a story from uh, when I was first uh, beginning as a priest in Trinity Vineland in New Jersey. And Vineland was, uh, at the time, a very economically depressed uh, community. And although it was a, a joyful and hopeful community, it w the community went through a great deal of trauma. And I remember one of the things that we decided to do as a vestry was to start an after-school program and apply for a grant, which we got, you know, a $35,000 grant, and we started an after-school program. But I remember after starting it that it was so hard. It was hard. It was hard to meet with teachers and the teachers who were, uh, who were dealing with kids who were coming from broken homes. It was hard to get the kids to come and, and participate. It was hard to get the, the vestry to agree to do this project and to continue the project. It was hard. And I remember talking to the social worker who was a member of that congregation who helped establish the program. I said, John, this is so hard. John, how can we continue to do this? And then John told me this little story. He said, Sunil, I have a story to share. It's a story about a, a man who is hard at work, and he comes back home after this long day of work, eight hours, nine hours of work. He comes back home, he's exhausted, and all he wants to do is sit in front of the TV and just vegetate. Can you relate? And as he just sits, plops himself in front of that TV and that sofa, all of a sudden his five-year-old son comes, comes up to him. And a five-year-old that has a lot of energy. And he goes, Dad, Dad, Dad. Yes, son, what do you want? Dad, can you play with me? Can you play with me? Son, not right now. Just, I'm so tired. Dad, 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 dad. And he kept pestering the father. And then finally, after 20 minutes, the father said, okay, I'll play with you. But I'll play with you only after you finish this, this thing that I have. And as he looked around, he was trying to figure out what to occupy the kid's a kid's mind, and so he spots on the table, on the coffee table, a magazine with a picture of a world on it. And he takes that, that magazine, rips off the cover, tears it up into little pieces, and then he takes some tape and he says, son, I'll play with you as soon as you finish putting this world back together. And he thought it was fine. Then 10 minutes later, the kid comes back with a picture that was complete and whole. The father, expecting at least an hour rest, <laughs> looks at him and says, son, how did you do this? 
And part of him was pretty proud. He said, my, my son's a genius. How'd he do this? Son, how'd you do this? And the son said, well, dad, I couldn't put the world back together. So all I did was I looked on the back of the picture. I noticed on the back of that page there was a picture of a little boy. And all I had to do was put the little boy back together. The social worker was trying to tell me that, it, that you don't have to change the world. Sometimes the change in the world is, is hard enough. It's too much of a task for us. But just concentrate on one child, one child, one person. And that's what God is doing in Lydia. Concentrating on the one person. That's what God does with Paul. That's what God does with you and I. Friends, because it is the open-minded, the humble, and the open-hearted that God leads to make choices that help transform the world. For it is in the choices of individuals like Lydia, like Paul, like you and I, that God achieves God's vision. Amen.